0: When it comes to, to real estate, I think it's important to always remember that it's really not the real estate business, it's the information in relationship business, and information is is critically important. I think technology is, is important, but only to the extent that you can put high quality, high integrity data into these different technology platforms.
1: Daily Real Estate Syndication Show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Bob Knackle. Bob, he started in commercial real estate in 1984 at CB Richard Ellis. That place, he met Paul Massey, and they both left in 88 to form Massey Knackle Realty Services. From 88 to 2014, they closed over 6,000 transactions worth over $23 billion. Bob is personally responsible for the sale of over 2,000 buildings, and over eight, which totaled over $18 billion in transactions. And it's a record for a single broker in New York City. So Bob has been in this business almost longer than I have been alive. This was a great conversation. You know, we're going to dive into I and mean, how tech has changed over the last 40 years in this industry, how that's helped their business. And we're going to have another segment where we're also going to jump into strategies of how they grew that company quickly and some key things, I think, behind that that helped them to do that well that, man, all of us should be thinking about. Welcome to the show. Honored to meet you and have you on. What I've read and and listened about you, I, I'm just I'm honored to have you. I know the listeners are going to learn a lot over the next couple days with you. Welcome again.
0: Well, Whitney, great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me on.
1: Yeah, I uh, know it's it's my pleasure, and I mean I, I'm I'm so looking forward to diving in. Uh, a lot's changed in the real estate industry uh, since uh, since you started in this business, right? uh and i'm um, uh, i want to hear you know your perspective on a number of things and we're going to get into that so the listeners know over a segment of two days here like i mentioned uh, just so they know uh you know thank, thanks again bob for your time uh, and you're being very generous uh, in that so a lot's changed right and let's dive into some of the tech that you've seen maybe change since i know you you say you mentioned before you started in 1980 uh, in this industry, some things you've seen that that's changed, and but ultimately, maybe the technology, things that you see that's going to change our industry and in commercial real estate, you know, moving forward as well.
0: Yeah, there's been a world of change, a world of change, Whitney. I mean, in in '84 when I started, I didn't have a computer on my desk. There was no fax machine. I didn't have a cell phone. You wanted to send a letter to somebody, you hand wrote it, handed it to a secretary who typed it up, and it was a very very different world we carried around a roll of quarters in our pockets, and if somebody didn't show up for a meeting you went down to the corner to the payphone and tried calling them very very inefficient uh, in those days if you were in the office you were working and if you were out of the office you were not working and the world has changed so dramatically over the last 40 years uh, you know it's very interesting technology has increased the speed with which things can get done. The reach that you have, it's changed so many things. But interestingly, in New York City, there were more properties sold in the 80s than in the 90s, more in the 90s than the noughts, and more in the noughts than last decade. So it hasn't really increased the amount of commerce that's being done. It's just empowered a, a smaller group of people to accomplish more. And that's the big impact that technology has had on the world so far is that I think it has really created tremendous leverage and horsepower for a smaller arena of folks to get a lot done. But there isn't more commerce being done because of that. And as much as technology has changed the real estate brokerage business over the last 40 years, I think the relative change over the next five years is going to be dramatically more than we've seen over the past forty based upon what's happening with AI and other technological advances. It's really going to change the world.
1: That's incredible. I think it's so interesting that you say you know it's like it, all the advancements that we've had have not increased the number of sales, right or transactions is what you're saying, right? You know technology
0: doesn't impact a discretionary seller. People have always sold for for reasons that were non-discretionary, you know, the old reliable death, divorce, taxes, partnership disputes, things like that, that you you have to sell. But then there are also discretionary sellers that will sell based on tax incentives. If you look in New York, four of the uh, top five years in terms of building sales volume, were catalyzed by tax law changes, either people selling to beat increases in taxes or selling right after tax rates went down to take advantage of that that implied increase in value. So the reasons for selling are not necessarily tied to how e- easy or advanced technology is to make things happen.
1: Yeah, wow. You know, what about, you know, when technology has been, improved, we'll say over the last, you know, 40 years, you know, how did you maybe implement that? Maybe give us a couple tips on how you implemented that effectively across the team. Right. And and then we'll move yeah, well, into maybe some new technologies that you see coming or how that's, you know, you're, you're planning there to improve in those ways, but maybe, you know, has there been some systems that you've found to say, you know what, this really helped our team to take in the, the this type of technology as it advanced?
0: You know, I, I think what I've learned over the years is that folks who are early adopters of new technology tend to be the winners. I have to admit that when email came out, I was really slow to get on board. I'm like, a message over your computer? You got to be kidding me. Who the heck is going to do that? And very slow to pick that up. And, you know, I, I held on to my flip phone for far longer than I should have. But, you know, now I've kind of changed my perspective on technology. i'm I'm trying to embrace it. and I'm probably the least technologically savvy person that you'll meet. I'm Happy my cell phone goes on in the morning, but I'm actually, you know, coming out with a New York City Land Index, which is going to look at land values going all the way back to 1984. We're taking that data set and applying an AI application to it where we're comparing fluctuations in land value to uh, macroeconomic metrics, uh, interest rates, inflation, S&P 500, Dow Jones, price of gold, consumer sentiment. In addition to all the, the, the logical things that impact land values in each product sector like rents and occupancies and things like that so you know i'm trying to uh, utilize ai to come up with some predictive measures based upon data sets that we've created
1: uh, what i hear is that w- what you're saying is that uh, almost uh, anybody else in this business have have no uh, excuse for not being up on technology when, uh, when you you were in real estate almost not not long after i was born so uh, so I should, I should be up on technology, right? Uh, I should have no excuse. So.
0: I think it's important. I think it's important. Again, early adopters uh, tend to be the winners in these things.
1: What's some technology right now outside of that, the what you just talked about that you're creating, which is very impressive. Any other tech that you all are using now that you found to be just crucial you know, to, to improving the day-to-day business or operations or buying, selling commercial real estate? No,
0: I, I think that when it comes to, to real estate, I think it's important to always remember that it's really not the real estate business. It's the information in relationship business. And information is is critically important. I think technology is is important, but only to the extent that you can put high quality, high integrity data into these different technology platforms. And so we focus really, really significantly on making sure that our data is accurate. We self-produce all of our data sets. We don't rely on third-party aggregators. We we are, are enthusiastic about the quality of those data sets. So, you know, we like to produce our own, but it's it's increasing quality of your data, verifying information, making sure that data is analyzed in a consistent way so that because Actually, the interesting thing about information is that if I tell you last year there was $26.3 in sales volume in New York City, that doesn't really tell you anything unless you know what it was the year before that and what it was at the peak of the market and what it was at the the bottom of the market. So information becomes statistically significant on a relative basis not an absolute basis. What direction is the market heading in and what's the magnitude of that change in direction? If I tell you that the volume of sales is down 52% from last year, that's very impactful and and informative to you. Uh, If I tell you that we're X percent below the peak, but we're Y percent above the trough, that's instructional, that's informational, that gives you a sense of what's happening in the market. And so we always try to look at the market very statistically to provide our clients with insights into what's really happening out there.
1: Love that. That's uh, very helpful. Uh, just to think through, right? As we look for data, I agree completely it's an information business uh, we uh, and a uh, people business, right? But man, it's so much information driven. And what I often say on the show is, you know, because everybody says, well, I don't have a crystal ball with me. I'm like, well, I understand. But what you believe, you know, affects what you do, right? You know, whether, you know, and and what you believe comes from the information that you get, right? Yeah, <laughs> and no, so the, h- history, you know, the more accurate.
0: History often repeats itself. You know, they, they say it, it doesn't, it's not exactly a repetition, but it rhymes. And so you you need to uh, look at how the market has performed at other times, similar to what you're going through now. And it does provide some insight into how the market may may move forward.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it, Bob. Any any uh, advancements in tech that you see coming? Are they like maybe you all are trying to adopt right now, or maybe it's AI, or maybe it's something else that I don't haven't heard of yet that that you see helping you know push this uh, data collection or analysis uh, you know in a faster or more accurate way? Yeah, well, I think what I've seen so far. fortunately, you know, I've worked with Rod
0: Santamassimo at the Massimo Group for about twelve years. He's my broker coach. Rod is probably the the leading authority on AI and how it's going to impact the real estate business. And it seems like many of the applications have to do with making processes much more efficient. It's not really in the data collection. I think the data collection has to be done by, by practitioners, by the producers that are actually doing the transactions. But once you have the data sets, once you've collected the information and that information is accurate, there are a number of things you can do to be more effective with the way you prospect, the way you reach out to people, the way you leave messages, you know, market presence in terms of making your, your phone calls, your email blasts, your text messages, your hard mailing. All of these processes are very labor intensive and technology can help make those, those initiatives. Much easier to do, much more impactful, and will allow you to leverage your time a lot more.
1: What are you all using as far as the CRM, or I'm sure you're using something like that to help you track what you were just talking about at right? the calls or the text messages, the follow-ups, things like that?
0: Yeah, well, we have an internal CRM here at JLL called CapForce, which is used. We also use a RealNix product, which has been fantastic for us. So we're logging all that information from every contact with an owner we're logging it into the system and trying to utilize that data as effectively as possible.
1: What changing gears just a little bit the last few minutes of this segment Bob uh, what would you say is a is a challenge right now in in at JLL or or maybe just for in the current market or and we'll talk about maybe current market you know and some things you think about in the next segment but but like uh, maybe any challenges right now, or maybe even around technology that you all are experiencing as we speak. Yeah, you
0: well, know, I, I don't speak on behalf of uh, of JLL and what's happening company wide, but I can tell you generally in the marketplace, biggest challenge today is the fact that we've had downward pressure exerted on property values based on the the very rapid and massive interest rate increases. Whenever you have something that exerts downward pressure on value. It takes a while before the market gets acclimated to the new reality. And you have to go through what we refer to as the capitulation phase, where people realize, hey, yeah, my property value is down X percent and and there's pent up demand to sell, and I'm just gonna have to pull the trigger at this new price. Uh, And I don't think that we are quite into the capitulation phase yet. If you look at the Manhattan market as a microcosm of New York City, for transactions over $10 million in Manhattan. Uh, We've seen 42 in the first quarter, 43 in the second quarter, 84 in the third quarter. We thought that that doubling of activity in the third quarter might have been an indicator we were hitting that capitulation phase, but I believe the the fourth quarter numbers are not going to be good. And I always say, with quarterly data you really need to see two or three quarters before you call a trend. So the third quarter numbers could just be an aberration. But we need to get to the capitulation phase and that's really the biggest challenge for the market is to unfreeze some of the stuff that's going on. Lenders are trying to figure out what to do. They're being relatively covert with the, the activities that they're taking because they don't want to be scrutinized too much. So, you know, the market's trying to feel its way figure out where it's headed. And I think that's really the biggest challenge today is that there, there are very tangible and profound implications of being felt by the real estate market based on how quickly uh, and how massively rates have increased in an unprecedented way. And so dealing with a number of tangential things that have happened because of that is what we're going through now.
1: Yeah. So it's it's kind of the... The seller's coming to grips with, man, I missed the prime time to sell, right? I, every I waited
0: every like... come meeting that we have with potential sellers, we start out saying two things. One, don't sell today if you don't have to or don't have a very compelling strategic reason to do so. And number two, we know you had higher bids years ago or sometime in the, in the, in the past. Unfortunately, we don't have a time machine If we get one, we'll let you know, but you have to deal with the reality and whatever bids you had in the past, whatever conversations you had in the past are completely irrelevant. Wipe them out of your memory. We're in a new reality. You have to deal with the reality we're in today. We can't go back in time.
1: Yeah. Great advice. Just to get that out there right away with that seller, right? But what, what are, you mentioned, unless there's a strategic reason maybe to sell, What are maybe some good reasons that you've seen sellers actually sell today? Well, there there are portfolio reallocation motivation. So if
0: someone is too heavily invested in one particular product type sector, maybe they want to diversify into another one. Maybe they want to diversify geographically. Maybe they need to sell to raise capital for the cash in refi that they have to do on the property they really want to own long term. So there are, there are a number of reasons why people may choose to sell today that are forced sellers. They are discretionary, but there are strategic reasons that are compelling today. I think everybody's looking at their portfolio and kind of figuring out which are the which are the assets I really want to own long-term, which are the ones I could potentially monetize today. But a lot of it is is being very thoughtful, trying to, to look at skating to where the puck is going, not where it is. And so, you know, a lot of of folks are really taking a a deep breath, taking a look at the portfolio and figuring out what's best for them for the long term.
1: You know, now that I was thinking about, you know, you started in 84, I mean, you've seen many cycles, right? And you've had to deal with sellers uh, and buyers through so many cycles and many operators, no doubt about it. You know, what would you say are some, you know, some ways or reasons that the ones who have survived consistently, why did they survive, you know, through many downturns or maybe some consistent things are like, man, I've seen this happen so many times. These people didn't make it because of this and these did.
0: Well, I think leverage has a lot to do with that. Folks who overlay, you know, leverage is potentially a great thing, but it's also potentially a very risky thing always say nobody ever got foreclosed on that that didn't have a mortgage on their property, so the folks who have remained relatively lowly leveraged have done very well but you know we're we're in really uncharted territory now with the 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 massive fluctuation in interest rates in such a short period of time has created you know issues for folks. And, you know, only 20 percent of our economy, everybody says, well, the economy seems to be doing pretty well. Well, yeah, the broader economy is doing well. Only 20 percent of our economy is actually highly correlated to interest rates. You know, if you look at the government and healthcare, that makes up 35 percent of our economy. And I haven't heard anybody say, well, I, I'm supposed to get open heart surgery, but I'm gonna wait until interest rates come down before I, <laughs> I go into the night, right? So clearly the broader economy is is chugging along, but real estate, which is very, very highly correlated to fluctuation in interest rates, you know, is is dealing with a very profound issue today.
1: Yeah. No, so, so it sounds like I mean, by having too high of leverage. I mean it has been the common factor that's brought so many people down through different cycles over the years.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think that the folks who have remained very conservatively leveraged have tended to to do uh do the best.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's it's so interesting uh, to think through that. What any any thoughts on like buying criteria right now for operators That they should be considering the, I mean, because we're all trying to buy, right? But man, I think all of us are like, we may, may wait a little bit, but we still want to buy if we can.
0: Yeah. One of, one of the interesting things, you know, we deal with, with the three main buckets of, of potential buyers, people who are uber wealthy that have been around for a long time, will continue to be around for a long time. Overwhelmingly, those folks are saying, yeah, it sounds like a really good deal, Bob, but it's going to be cheaper in a couple of months. And then you have the folks who are very bullish on the future of New York, but they don't have their own money and can't raise it. And then you have the folks who are just very pessimistic about New York and they're buying all around the country and, and are not looking at, at buying in New York. To the, the uber wealthy folks, what I've been saying is, look, we have several asset classes where you can buy property for the same price per square foot that those buildings were selling for 20 or 25 years ago. This is the buying opportunity of a lifetime. You know, buy buy when nobody wants to buy, sell when everybody wants to buy. And I think if you look at the GFC, for instance, you know, in New York City, value bottomed out in the second half of 2010. But all the people that bought property in 2009, are so happy that they bought at the 2009 price. You can't time the market perfectly. And you'll only know that we're past the bottom, probably six to nine months past the bottom, and then you've lost the opportunity already. I think people are going to be saying four or five years from now, they're going to say, what the heck was I thinking in 2023, 2024? I should have bought everything in sight. And I really think it is a great buying opportunity. That sounds self serving because I'm a, an intermediary that makes money when people buy and sell, but I really believe it. You know, you, you have office buildings trading uh, at $300 a foot. They were trading at $300 a foot 20 years ago. And, you know, I, I think if you look even in some multifamily buildings trading for $200, $250 a foot, that, that's unheard of. But I think it is a tremendous buying opportunity. You just, you have to have capital and you have to have courage. If you have capital and courage, I think you can make some outstanding buys today.
1: Love that. <clears throat> you have to have capital and courage. Uh, uh, no doubt in this business, you need both of those things to say the least. Love that. Just talking through the different buyers. And so the listener can think, through, hey, what are they, right? As they, they come into this market. Uh, and and I think it's it's wise too to, to look back through different cycles uh, and especially Listeners who have been around a while, you know, have been in the business a while. And they think, yeah, that's right, Bob. I wish I had bought, you know, during 2009 or 10, right? When everybody was scared. Yeah, Whitney, the best buying opportunity I
0: ever saw was during the s crisis in the early 90s. Very few people had capital. Property values were really, really depressed. And people were scared. And people didn't pull the trigger, but by the mid-90s, everybody's saying, oh, gosh, I should have bought everything in sight back then. I think that this buying opportunity rivals that buying opportunity. And I think you're going to see the folks who are are being aggressive. And it's only a very narrow slice of the market today, but there are some people being very aggressive out there. I think you're going to see fortunes made by people who are are bullish on investing today.
1: Bob. It's a great place to end this segment. And so, man, grateful for your insight and just being willing to share from your years, 40 years of experience. And so I want the listeners to know Bob's going to be around for another segment tomorrow. We're going to dive into some specific things that have helped him, some some strategies to grow quickly and, and at scale. I'm looking forward to that, Bob. Bob, before we go, how can the listeners get in touch with you and learn more about you?
0: Yeah, Whitney. Best way to get in touch with me just email me directly at JLL. Uh, it, the email address is bob at JLL.com. dot is N A K A L. So bob at JLL.com. Or you can follow me on social media and DM me. I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, a bunch of others. Just you can uh, put my name and you'll you'll find me there. But always happy to interact with you.